हेलो एवरीवन यू आर लिसनिंग टू द पॉडकास्ट इन कॉन्वर्सेशन विद आईपीआर एंड कंपटीशन लॉ इंडियाज फर्स्ट डेडिकेटेड पॉडकास्ट ऑन कंपटीशन लॉ हैविंग इट्स वाइड रीच इन 47 कंट्रीज वी आर नाउ हेडक्वार्टर्ड इन लंदन यूनाइटेड किंगडम एंड वी इनवाइट कंपटीशन लॉयर्स एकेडमिशियंस प्रोफेशनल्स अराउंड द ग्लोब टू डिस्कस ट्रेंड्स एंड जुरिस्प्रूडेंस इन कंपटीशन लॉ एंड आईपीआर वी आर होस्टिंग डॉक्टर कॉमनिनोज पार्टनर वाइट इन केस एलएलपी ब्रसेल्स in today's episode and the topic is antitrust and populism as a partner with white and case based in the firm's resales office sir advises on questions of eu and greek competition law eu business regulation international arbitration litigation and private international law so has argued both of the only two competition preliminary reference cases to the european court of justice from greece His practice focuses on complex cases of abuse of dominance, restrictive agreements and merger notifications and he represents clients before the European courts, the European Commission, national competition authorities, national courts and international arbitration tribunals. So he is a former commissioner and member of the board of Hellenic Competition Commission. We're delighted to host you, sir. Thank you. I'm delighted to to, to join you. Uh, Dr. Sir Can you provide an overview of the key ways in which populism and antitrust enforcement intersect in today's global landscape? Join on our search expertise in this area. Right. I mean, first of all, um, let, let's let's um, uh, discuss a bit more about what we are talking. Um, so, are we talking about uh, just? Um, Uh, making um, a European competition law or generally competition law relevant to um, the citizen, you know, that's a good thing, right? I mean, that, that is certainly not populism, right? And, you know, the, um, the enforcers, competition law enforcers uh, should not be um, residing um, in an ivory tower, you know, they should always be transparent and um, at the end of the day, um they are answerable to to the citizens eh? and they are part of the uh, they are part of the government uh, in the broader sense they may be dependent but still they are administrative authorities or part of the government like in the european case the eu commission um and therefore they are answerable to the citizens and um, it is important that um, um they remain relevant to them that's that's a good thing to have to have a relevance for the for the consumers for the citizens then uh, there is another thing which is what we would call popularization of competition law in other words uh, competition law is a technical area but at the same time it's not bad at all to popularize it to the extent possible without of course uh, sacrificing anything when it comes to its substance So, for example, um, I can give you an example here of uh, what uh, Margrethe Vestager, the former, no, she's still a commissioner, but uh, she's currently on uh, leave of absence. Uh, she has been our competition commissioners uh, uh, for almost uh, nine years now, nine passes indeed. So um, that's essentially what Margrethe Vestager has been doing. She has been trying to popularize, so to say, competition law in essence by um, Uh, making it uh, simpler, let's say, to, for the masses, if you like, uh, for, for, for the citizens, for the normal citizen, um, and uh, also by using some catchwords, essentially, that uh, 
the citizens can understand, uh, such as, for example, the catchword of fairness, uh, something is fair and fair, or something which is, uh, um, uh, you know, she has spoken sometimes about the democracy and uh, therefore competition law enforcement is important for democracy. I mean, this is, I, I would say, a context of popularization of competition law. So nothing wrong, uh, especially if you if you know how to do that, because um, it's important um, not to try to do popularization while falling into populism. That's a, that's that's the tricky part of the job, let's say. But I think if you know how to do that, it's important also because it increases the relevance of competition law enforcement for the citizen. Where the problem is when um, we are dealing with um, clear-cut populism and clear-cut populism meaning essentially that you're no longer applying uh, competition law um, to specific cases and uh, events, so to say, with a view to um, dealing with competition problems and um, increasing consumer welfare, consumer choice, innovation, etc. But um, uh, you see competition enforcement as just a political uh, activity, essentially, and therefore you're uh, led by oh, will my action uh, be pleasing to the government? Will my, will my action be uh, pleasing to the, um, to the masses, for example, um, and so on. So I think we need to distinguish about these things, which I call, first of all, relevance, broader relevance, which is good, popularization, which is, if done in a proper way, is also good, and populism, which is bad. I'm continuing with the next question. Thank you, sir, for your insights on an introductory aspect of populism and antitrust enforcement. You have written extensively about the role of political considerations in antitrust enforcement. How do populist movements and political pressures influence antitrust decisions and policies in different jurisdictions? And what are some notable examples if you would like to explain to the audience? Right. I mean, um, how does populism and political considerations um, influence antitrust enforcement? Again, let me make a distinction. Political considerations as such um, depends what we mean by that. Eh? Political considerations in the sense of, um, um, you know, pleasing the government or, um, um, you know, looking at the political reality or the party, the different parties essentially, and playing a role that can be exploited in the current political context, etc. <clears throat> That's something bad, obviously, and this kind of politicization we do not want. Now, in antitrust and competition law, we sometimes speak about political considerations outside the uh, competition law considerations in the strict sense. So that type of this type of um, terminology is um, uh, quite, um, I would say, we need to be careful with the terminology here. If by political considerations we mean um, questions that can arise during competition enforcement about, for example, the environment or social protection or um, sustainability or treating fairly um, employees and workers or um, indeed uh, um, questions such as media plurality, etc. These sometimes we call political considerations 
But at the same time, I don't think there is anything bad in terms of the competition authorities um, grappling with these uh, difficult questions and finding some solutions when it comes to competition law enforcement. I will come back to how the competition authorities can, can deal with these issues. But these, I mean, these, these political, let's say, uh, considerations are not necessarily a sign of politicization. They are not definitely aside necessarily of um, a populism. Um, so when we are dealing about uh, um, like the political uh, um, politicization in the, in the kind of nefarious sense, so to say, in the bad sense, uh, how can politicization influence competition or enforcement? Well, politicization can influence competition enforcement in many respects. First of all, institutionally. Um, you may have a competition authority which is utterly uh, dependent on the government or on a political uh, party or on a political reality, for example, and that uh, competition authority is only taking decisions um, on the basis of um, political considerations, essentially, or um, it's just... Uh, uh, a competition authority that uh, is reactive always to what the government announces. And that is not a competition enforcement authority that um, I would consider an independent and definitely a, an optimal competition authority. Um, then you may have uh, an influence of uh, populism and politicization uh, in terms of um, uh, prioritization of cases, which cases a competition authority will prioritize. Um, and um, um, then, um, you know, for example, a competition authority may decide to uh, prioritize a particular case uh, which will have uh, limited uh, consumer uh, benefit, let's say, uh, but at the same time, it's more important for the government, for example, or for a political uh, consideration, right? And then you may have um, uh, another influence in terms of um, what cases, um, what investigations you start, for example, right? I mean, uh, an, a, a, a very kind of telling element of politicization and populism is when a competition authority is always uh, um, doing don raids, for example. I mean, you, you, do not, you do not issue decisions, you just, may, you, you just uh, um, uh, perform lots of uh, don raids, investigations, inspections, of, uh, and then you, you publicize, for example, that I have uh, I've been doing a lot of don raids, I have been uh, I'm the number one competition authority in the world in terms of don raids, and uh, here are the press releases that uh, are telling uh, the story that every every couple of weeks, for example, I, I don't raid companies. And of course, the press will always be saying, ah, you know, there has been a huge uh, inspection don raid in that particular company. That particular company must be guilty. Otherwise, why did the competition authority uh, visit it in the first place? This is another element of um, uh, condemnable, I would say, politicization. And then the worst kind of politicization is when your decisions at the end of the day have nothing to do with the substance of competition law. Your decisions become completely tainted by the political realities and by government intervention. Um, that's the worst type of politicization. And uh, 
unfortunately, you know, I cannot without giving names. Uh, I can see that too sometimes in competition authorities. Not so, not so much in Europe, I would say, but in other parts of the world, definitely. Absolutely, sir. Thank you. These examples illustrate how political pressures and populist sentiments can shape antitrust mm -hmm. policies and enforcement decisions. Uh, sometimes with significant consequences for competition and business environment. Uh, populist rhetoric often targets big tech companies and concerns about market power. So, how do you how do you think that populist sentiments impact the regulation and enforcement of competition law in the digital space? And what are the potential consequences for the tech industry that may be coming in the foreseeable future? Yes, I mean, the indeed, the digital sector is one of those sectors, essentially, that falls prey to the populist agenda sometimes. Um, it's not the only one. For example, I, I can see a lot of... Um, uh, element uh, in that respect uh, when it comes to the pharma, the pharmaceutical industry. And there are some other industries as well. The banks, for example, banks, uh, pharmaceutical companies, uh, digital companies, they are like the worst. Uh, um, <laughs> these are the worst examples of uh, populism uh, for some reason. So um, why is that? I mean, well, the we have had over the past 20 years extremely successful companies. Usually they started um, from a garage somewhere in, uh, in California and uh, over the years they became uh, um, extremely successful global um, uh, leaders and uh, they've changed the way we um, they've changed the way we work, they've changed the way we interact with people, they've changed the way we shop um, and so on. They've changed our lives. And since um, uh, these companies are so global, essentially, uh, they have become extremely rich. And um, uh, you see that in the broader context of inequality, for example, uh, which some people say has increased. Certainly, it seems that it has increased in the US. I'm not sure about the EU. And also, you know, it brings uh, questions about democracy, for example. Do we have digital democracy? Who, who controls essentially what is heard in the digital sphere, what is written in the digital sphere? Um, so that's another concern, for example. So inequality, democracy. And then you have, you know, the good old industrial policy, eh? the, the, which is an old acquaintance of ours, I mean, from the early days. So, you know. Uh, these companies tend to be U.S. companies and therefore people in Europe or in other parts of the world are, are very nervous about the power of these companies and why don't we have our own European champions and why don't we have our own Indian champions or uh, whatever. I mean, you know, it's, it's so easy to attack, um, it's so easy to criticize that particular sector precisely because um, the the national element, the national industrial policy can play a role. So for me, it's not a surprise that this sector um, is in the um, receiving, is at the receiving end of all this. Now, what does it mean for that sector? I mean, that sector is quite dynamic and of course it's, it's not, uh, um, it's not, let's say, uh, ideal for, um, uh, to, to, to be subject to too much intervention by the competition rules because sometimes it can lead to 
um, can lead to consumer harm, I would say. But at the same time, they're grown-ups. They know that these are the part, these are these are the rules of the game, and sometimes, indeed, competition law enforcement can have positive results. I mean, you know, it's not that I'm not advocating that competition law should not apply to the digital sector, not at all. I mean, with the power comes, uh, um, you know, responsibility, and um, therefore, I don't think that uh, the serious uh, companies in the digital area would say we don't want competition rules to apply, not at all. Um, they, they are fine with competition laws applying. The problem sometimes is what kind of competition laws are we talking about? How they have been applied in this case? Um, are there real theories of harm, for example? Is there politicization in, in that competition law enforcement? And more and more these days, I think their greatest concern is how do we avoid too much fragmentation internationally, essentially? Because lots of competition authorities in the world want to enter that sphere. It's a kind of me too type of, uh, uh, you know, in incentive. I want to be relevant too, vis-a-vis -vis my own uh, constituencies. If um, Europe has a case against uh, this or that particular company, I should have something similar, right? So, and, but, but, but that may lead to fragmentation may lead to complete chaos sometimes internationally and this is where we need to be very careful and we need to make sure that there is a minimum degree of convergence right i think striking the right balance between addressing antitrust concerns and promoting competitive markets in the platform space requires a very nuanced approach and uh, policy makers should um, base their decisions on factually grounded analysis to um, avoid overly blunt interventions because tailoring remedies or like one size fit all approach would really not um, you know deal with the issues at hand but rather encouraging interoperability will so um Moving on, in your work, you've discussed the usage of economic theories and antitrust concepts, and like you mentioned in the last question as well. Uh, could you elaborate on the tensions between antitrust enforcement and populist-driven policies and how regulators navigate these challenges? Yes. Um, you know, I mean, um, the, the populist-driven policies... Um, again, are not the same thing like broader political and economic objectives, right? I mean, we, we, we need to be careful uh, as to what we are talking about here. Broader political and economic objectives cannot be separated always from competition law enforcement. I mean, competition law enforcement is not taking place at a vacuum. So, um, you know, if there is a um, uh, discussion internally about, let's say, strategic autonomy, for example, when it comes to our economies, if there is a discussion about um, making sure that um, our particular economy doesn't become like a, a services-only economy and we don't produce anything at all. I mean, these are valid concerns. Competition law may not necessarily be about those concerns, but competition law cannot be completely immunized from those concerns. So, and in fact, if you ask me, I think that competition policy can play a, an important role in shaping policies that um, aim at uh, serving uh, uh, those particular objectives. There is a way to serve a particular objective in a competitive, a less competitive, and anti-competitive uh, manner. 
so to say. Yeah, because if, for example, your idea about um, strategic autonomy is to allow um, uh, huge uh, internal uh, national champions at the um, at, at the cost of um, more competition. No, I mean. This, not what I would advocate, and therefore competition law can inform the way we um, frame those policies in order to achieve those broader objectives. So um, I don't think there is necessarily something that we we have 100% immunize competition policy from uh, from, but at the same time um, we need to be very careful not to sacrifice the very core principles of competition policy, for example. And what are these core principles? First, that you need to have at least a degree of competition. Monopo monopolies are bad, right? You can't have a 100% monopoly just because you want to have a, your own national champion. This is bad, I mean, because it leads to exploitation of your citizens, of your consumers. Or another core principle is that we cannot allow to have cartels just because you know we want to protect our national uh, industry the way we see it no because this is this essentially leads to a transfer of wealth uh, from uh, consumers to producers right this is not something that uh, we should be accepting now um, when it comes to taking into account uh, um, other non-competition concerns such as sustainability such as the environment and so on. There are ways to do that, even within the competition rules, albeit without sacrificing too much of your basics. Essentially, I can I can come back later to that. Right. I think navigating these tensions is a complex challenge for regulators, but I think uh, it requires commitment and transparency in the process. And once that's achieved, I think uh, competition, innovation, and consumer welfare, like the principles pointed out by you, will be at the forte of every regulation. Um, moving on, I wanted to ask you, sir, that some argue that populism can lead to protectionist measures that may hinder international trade and competition. So how do you see this playing out in the context of antitrust enforcement and what implications does it have for global markets? Um, populism is always uh, national. Or populism is always parochial, let's say, in a certain way. So um, what you see is that uh, there is a populism in the US, there's a populism in Europe, there will be a populism in India, there will be a populism in uh, uh, South America. The, totally, the, sometimes the, these versions of populism are quite different. And also the way these populist... Um, ideas uh, affect competition policy is quite different um, in uh, when you compare jurisdictions. Just to give you an example, I'm not saying that uh, the, the example I will give necessarily relates to populism, but certainly there is at least, um, there's at least a, a link, a distant link, if you like. So for example, um, in both the EU and the US, there's currently a discussion about what exactly we're protecting with competition law. Is it consumer welfare or is it something further than that? Uh, and what about other concerns, for example? In the US, a particular concern 
that has been tarnishing, I would say, the, the competition law enforcement of, of the last uh, few years, of the last three to four, if you want, five years, is how we integrate um, labor protection concerns into our antitrust. Right. And, and, you know, there is a populist, uh, if you want, angle to that for sure. Now, this particular concern is totally uh, unknown in Europe. We do not really um, discuss about this particular issue. So that particular issue, which is currently a dominant uh, theme of discussion in, uh, in the U.S., you don't see in Europe. Why? Because, you know, it's a different political reality in the U.S., and in fact, in Europe, I mean, I'd like to think that uh, you know, there has always been a degree of uh, protection of uh, labor standards and uh, uh, there, ha there have always been labor standards and a degree of protection of uh, workers, etc. Therefore, this particular concern has not really, uh, has not uh, really, um, you know, been very dominant. On the other hand, in Europe and not in the US, we have a, a big discussion over the last, uh, I would say, five to ten years about sustainability. Sustainability, in particular, safeguarding um, a healthy environment, but also sustainability in the broader sense. This discussion about sustainability, you will not find in the same degree in the U.S. Right. So that's a good example to show you that um, the, um, the political, sometimes if you want the populist elements may be different from jurisdiction to jurisdiction. I mean, if you, if you go to the South African situation, for example, there they have different types of concerns. For example, how are we going to empower uh, black people? I mean, uh, who have been uh, uh, historically, um, uh, unfortunately, uh, suffering in terms of uh, having access to the economic life, etc., etc. So there are different concerns from jurisdiction to jurisdiction. Sometimes we have common issues, but I, since populism and the political realities are national and local, uh, they tend to be, these elements tend to be uh, divergent uh, from, country, from country to country, I would say. Yes, absolutely. And underscoring from um, what you've mentioned about EU's supranational approach relating to enforcement and diverse national interests, could you share insights into how the EU has responded to these challenges and what lessons can be drawn from its experience for other regions or countries facing, facing similar issues? Although myself, I have criticized sometimes also publicly uh, the EU competition law enforcement uh, actions or inactions, because do not forget that competition enforcement is made up of actions and inactions. Sometimes you do something, sometimes you don't do something. That all is about competition enforcement. So although I have been critical in the past, and I think critical voices should always be heard because, you know, it's at the end of the day, you, they, they give you the, uh, the limits of how far you should go at the end of the day. If you have too many critical voices, you're, you're kind of more self-restrained if you're a competition authority. Although I have done that in the past and I still continue doing that, I also believe at the same time that Europe, and in particular the European Commission, has been 
more successful in dealing with the populism than other competition authorities, than other agencies. And I have in particular in mind the US agencies, where I believe we have a totally different situation. Now, how has Europe be, been more successful? First of all, under the guidance of Margrethe Vestager, uh, the commissioner that we had uh, over the last years, she has increased, let's say, the um, uh, popularization, let's say, initiatives of the European Commission. So um, these days, competition law um, enforcement gets, um, gets communicated better uh, to, uh, to the citizen. So that's important. I mean, the relevance of competition law enforcement gets closer to the citizen. And therefore, that's a good thing, I think, generally speaking. Sometimes we lawyers and too much, we are too much of an expert, and therefore sometimes we're a bit critical. But at the end of the day, I think that um, uh, she has uh, fared quite uh, successfully there in that sense. Um, at the same time, um, the European Commission has uh, opened up a bit when it comes to political uh, objectives, such as, for example, sustainability. Um, and um, it has really produced um, new guidelines now on uh, horizontal cooperation agreements, uh, for example, sustainability agreement guidelines, etc. But at the same time, the European Commission has not something has not done something. Allow me to say crazy in the sense that uh, um, the core elements of competition law are still there. Um, the consumer welfare test is still there. The importance of identifying a clear consumer harm is there. Um, the balancing uh, between anti-competitive effects and um, effects um, which are positive for this kind of political considerations is done in a way which is, uh, um, I would say, uh, reasonable. And therefore, um, on the whole, I think the European Commission has uh, done a bit better than some other authorities when it comes to reconciling um, the conventional antitrust uh, without sacrificing its core values with the new reality. Right. I think, um, as you said, I think uh, Europe relies on a strong foundation of uh, technocratic expertise, if, my, if I may say so, and rigorous economic analysis and its enforcement decisions, which uh, makes it uh, makes it a valuable roadmap for other regions facing some. And finally, looking ahead, um, what do you see as the most pressing issues at the intersection of antitrust and populism in the coming years? And what strategies can policymakers and businesses adopt to navigate these evolving dynamics effectively? The challenges will remain and possibly uh, they will be even bigger. Um, I think uh, what I just described about the European Commission uh, offers a good example of uh, trying to, to be open to these new realities, but at the same time uh, have a steady course in terms of what, um, what your aims and what your objectives are. I, and, I, and I would like to come back to this particular point that I just raised, the objectives. I mean, competition authorities should be very clear as to what their objectives are. They should know what they're doing and what they are protecting. If you know what, what you are protecting and if you are clear and transparent about that and you communicate it to the citizens, if you can also be able to... 
communicate in a simple way and offer examples of um, actions that have led to consumer welfare, to consumer benefits, for example, um, you know, to have just um, uh, been able to uh, uncover an illegal cartel in a particular industry that is important for the um, for consumers and for their well-being, etc. You need to be, you need to explain. I mean, what it means, practically speaking, for the citizens. I mean, why this particular cartel was robbing uh, their money, or uh, you know how and how much uh, the the benefits uh, will be, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So you need to, to do a bit better there in terms of explaining the consequences of your actions. The consumer is not really interested in seeing. Uh, um, let's say, a particular um, abuse of dominance case uh, which sounds kind of uh, cryptic to them or sounds kind of exotic uh, without understanding what it really means for their own kind of well-being. I mean, uh, you have to explain why you are intervening in a particular uh, case. Um, and at the same time, when it comes to um, uh, adopting uh, further tools, uh, for example, we mentioned the uh, digital markets. Eh? A lot of jurisdictions currently are introducing uh, uh, rules, special rules for digital markets. I'm sure there may be other areas where there will be more special rules, etc., etc. I think it's very dangerous there and it's very kind of um, tricky because you know you um, you need always to make sure. You don't lose um, the, the you, you, you don't lose the reality at the end of the day, and you always explain and you are clear as to what exactly you are protecting. Um, it, there is also the risk that sometimes when you introduce these types of legislations, you may have rather parochial, nationalistic, uh, local um, concerns, sneakily in a very sneaking way being introduced into that legislation and therefore uh, the, the, this particular legislation becomes an omnibus legislation where you have essentially a full introduction of your own parochial industrial policy. Um, and these are the concerns I see more and more. Another concern I have more internationally is, you know, globalization these days. Um, yeah, globalization is a positive, but at the same time has many negative elements. But certainly what we see more and more these days is that there is a kind of um, globalization is receding. And we, we see more and more um, groups of countries, clubs and fences at the same time, clubs and fences. I mean, what will this mean for competition enforcement? What will this mean for competition analysis? How do we define markets, for example? Are we really talking about global markets sometimes when you have these clubs and fences? So all these will be quite um, a challenge for the future for how we understand and apply competition law. Yes, sir. Thank you so much for your insights on the challenges that um, may... <clears throat> arise in the foreseeable future and also uh, the importance of striking a balance and also remaining on the footboard with proactive balanced and evidence-based approach both from the policymakers and the businesses. Thank you so much for your insights throughout and we had a wonderful time hosting you. Thank you. Goodbye. Thank you so much, sir.